Hi there, and welcome to this episode of Sensational, the Special Educational Needs Podcast, which is brought to you by Witherslack Group in partnership with the ADHD Foundation Neurodiversity Charity. My name's Claire, I'm the Events Manager for Witherslack Group, and I'll be hosting today's session titled Life Beyond School, Making Successful Steps. So as parents, one of the most difficult times or worrying times is when our children are growing up and head off into the big wide world, off to university or into work, travelling or apprenticeships, whatever it is, you can almost guarantee there will be a certain amount of anxiety around that transition. For our neurodiverse families, there are the added concerns around how will our children cope? Will there be enough support? Are they even ready for this big step? What will they do without us? Because they've had us around them for such a long time. So lots of questions there, which I hope we'll be able to offer some advice and support around in today's podcast. So I'm really pleased to be able to welcome our guest speakers today. And they are Emma Weaver, Deputy CEO of the ADHD Foundation Neurodiversity Charity, and Emma Reardon, Director at Autism Wellbeing. And they will be guiding us through our topic today, providing plenty of direction and top tips along the way. And because it is a little bit confusing with the two Emmas on a podcast, I'm going to refer to you, Emma Weaver, as Emma W and Emma Reardon as Emma R. Otherwise, it's going to get really confusing. So now that I've given a little introduction there, would you guys like to say a bit about yourselves and your work? Emma W, maybe you can go first. Yeah, no problem. Hi, Claire. Hi, Emma. Uh, My name's Emma Weaver. As Claire said, I'm the Deputy CEO with the ADHD Foundation Neurodiversity Charity. And as a charity, we work across the country supporting people in developing their knowledge and understanding of neurodiversity, including the likes of ADHD, autistic spectrum condition, dyspraxia, dyscalculia. And our job is to help people navigate the world of neurodiversity and support them with things like this, helping them to understand next steps when it comes to moving into adulthood, next steps into university or the world of work. So I'm made up to be part of this podcast because I think it's an essential topic that is really great to bring up and have an opportunity to talk about because it's a big leap for lots of of our young people. So I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you for the invite. Thanks, Emma. Okay, so over to Emma R now. Hi there. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here as well. I'm one of the directors of Autism Wellbeing. We're a non-profit organisation based over in West Wales, but I like to think we punch above our weight. We've got members of our organisation across the world. Uh, We do a range of things, including supporting autistic people, their families, professionals. We provide training, consultancy work. We've spoken at some of the autism conferences and shows on our work about sensory trauma, which is a new way of looking at some of the autistic experiences experiences people have. Yeah, and I'm really pleased to be here today. I've got a son who is 16 and he has just gone from being home educated into college. And actually it hasn't worked out for him. So I'll right. come back to that a little bit later on because sometimes it's really good to hear about what doesn't work and yeah. what we can do as well as what's work. Okay. Thank, thank you for having me. Thanks, Emma. Thanks very much. Okay, so we'll move on to our questions today now. So to start with, I'm sure many young people might be excited with some nerves definitely thrown in for the next adventure, but it's really important that they understand the reality of what is to come as well. So let's start with highlighting what your family's main concerns being when a child is heading off to uni or the workplace. And how can we really help them prepare for the changes that are about to come? Emma W, do you want to go first again? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's a difficult one. I think everybody's family circumstances are different. I think the experiences that we've had, and actually not only a couple of weeks ago, I was at a university speaking with their lecturers and support staff there. And one of the things that they were reflecting on was, I think the next steps into that adult world or into that student world where expectations are higher, particularly when students are going moving away from home. So the expectation of cooking for yourself, cleaning for yourself, having to think about preparing meals, thinking about the things that you're going to need just for that daily functioning in life and then throw the study and then needing to learn new information the social experiences that they have at university as well there's so much to, that a, a young person yeah. has to take on board as part of those big transitions and I think it's preparing and having a realistic understanding that's what the next steps are going to be and thinking about I suppose in advance of that big step how are we going to navigate that how are we going to manage that but also a kind of conversation around that this is how it's going to be and this is what to expect when you get there as well yeah Emma R do you have anything to add there at all I think Emma's right it's an experience that involves your whole life and I think it can be important to remember sometimes that we might have supported our child to develop skills at home like cooking for instance But that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be easy for them to do that cooking when it's a different kitchen, a different routine, different supermarkets you're shopping in. So I think recognising that what we might call transferable skills, when you're somebody who experiences different ways of perceiving the world, it may not be as simple to transfer them. I've been talking to a lot of parents at the autism shows this summer. And of course, it's the summer people are preparing to go off to university or college. And some parents are concerned about peer pressure, children being involved in drinking, smoking parties, worried about their vulnerability. On the other hand, my, my experience is my son's vulnerable, but like the opposite way, he's more likely to call people out for doing something they shouldn't be doing or report yeah. somebody doing that. So vulnerabilities can work both ways with that. Uh, and I think, yes, yeah, social groups, as Emma said, negotiating that's quite tricky. And that, But there's lots we can do as well. And I'm sure we'll come back to that. If we play to our strengths, our children's strengths, if they're somebody who thrives on routine, then supporting them to make a new routine will be good. So I'm yeah. sure we'll come back to that later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Okay, so moving on whether it's a university college or the work environment it's probably a really good idea to scope out what support is on offer before they actually make the leap into that environment so I imagine the year before is a really critical time for planning next steps preparing the child emotionally for what is about to come and also fact finding around the practical support that's on offer so can you talk us through what a parent could be doing during that year to help prepare their child but also themselves as well because it's a big change for the parents too isn't Mm -hmm. it go on mrr you go first it's never too soon to start you're right when you refer to to spending a year looking at it and i would say link in with the college or the workplace as soon as possible and find a named person that you can use as contact you can keep going back to them and they'll understand your situation you won't have to explain every time what the challenges your child might find i think If you're somebody like my son who hasn't really had input from services like OT or the children's disability for some time, get in there soon because we know there are long waiting lists. And I went in a year ahead of when I needed to and I still found there was a year's waiting list before he may even be seen. So I would say definitely get in there and apply for funding and support you can get. So if you're a disabled student, apply for disabled students awards. I've done this for myself as a PhD student and I was 
shocked and impressed with the amount of equipment, software, a laptop, printer and so on I could get. And also the amount of specialist peer mentoring as well. So that's really important. And I think for some of us, it can be really difficult as young people or as parents to imagine what the future will be like. And actually stepping out into the world of work or further education can be worrying enough as it is. So I think it's really important that as parents, we validate our children's fears and we don't dismiss them as overreactions. I think, um, I think that's key, isn't it? I think that's a big step, something that I've certainly learned from working with young people in particular who are making those big steps is the validating of their feelings is really important, but them also understanding and having that self-awareness and kind of a big thing for me. And I think what I've learned from lots of the young people that I've met is that owning their traits, understanding themselves is really important as well. I think I've worked with many young people who've spent time learning about their traits related to the condition that they have, but also from that strength-based approach this is what I'm really good at this is why I'm great at doing this but these are things that I need in order to be able to learn or in order to be able to interact with people around me and I think when it comes to having those conversations with university just asking what do they have a neurodiverse approach is there a neurodiversity policy in place what are their send practices that are already in place I think if a parent or a student themselves asks those direct questions you get a good feel for a place as well if they've got things like neurodiverse friendly approaches we're seeing many colleges and many universities going down this route now of representing neurodiversity and showing and demonstrating how they're supporting students with the likes of ADHD or an autistic spectrum condition so actually just say what's your policy on neurodiversity if they've got one they'll tell you and I'm sure they'll be made up to tell you about it if they haven't then maybe it's an opportunity to for them to explore that as well for themselves yeah okay some great answers there thanks thanks for those okay so I've mentioned the emotional side already so the emotional side of the change which we know can have a massive impact on our young people so what would be your top tips for supporting them through the changes and challenges they may face so that they can be really empowered and gain confidence by their independence I think an important feature would be setting kind of goals that are manageable and achievable as well. For some young people, it might be if they're heading off to university. And what I really liked, Emma, about what you said earlier about those transferable skills, you might be able to cook a meal in your kitchen at home with all the things that are familiar around you. But the minute that you're in a kitchen in a student accommodation and the kitchen looks different, the kettle's in a different place, the tap works differently or doesn't work, something's broken and we've got to think flexibly around that. But actually setting kind of smaller achievable goals to support that kind of self-esteem and that ability to and demonstrating that I can do these things but let's do kind of some small steps towards getting there as well that might be really helpful that's exactly what I was going to say as well Emma first of all yeah break tasks down because sometimes you look at things and it's so overwhelming but actually there are lots of little steps you can take And again, like I said before, it's about listening to what the worries and concerns are of our children and recognising, say their worry was, where am I going to sit in the canteen? That fear to them is totally real. And to say, oh, it doesn't matter, you can sit where you like, might be the truth. But actually, that might not be very helpful. So sometimes offering some strategies and talking through different scenarios. Okay, what could you do in this situation? What could you say here so that your child has actually got almost like a checklist in their mind of things they can say in different situations and then I think finally I say recognizing that when our children do something that we feel is very odd or we wouldn't have done it in that way for instance they've probably got a really good solid logical reason for it 
And again, it's about validating their experience of the world and recognising that their response to a situation is proportional to how they've experienced it. And they may actually take a different path to, to come into a solution than we would. And I think neurodivergent thinkers, we tend to think outside the box and that can be a real strength. Absolutely. So we need to make sure as parents, we don't kind of quash that and try and get them to be conventional when actually their unconventional way might bring something not only to themselves, but to other people too. And to the new, yeah, to the environment that they're in, to the workplace, to the universities, to the college. Really? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That really great stuff there. So the next question has come up quite a bit in the webinars that we do, because we do webinars around transitioning to adulthood and neurodiversity in the teenage years and things like that. So I thought our podcast would be a really good place to sound this situation out with you guys. So when young people are moving on to the next step, they might be really excited about the fresh start and sometimes not so keen to actually share their neurodiversity. And whilst my thought is that that sounds like a perfectly workable idea, and Emma and I have talked about this before around, if and Emma said it before actually, that if a place is neurodiverse friendly, they shouldn't have to actually highlight their diagnosis. However, we know that not everywhere is neurodiverse friendly and it does raise concerns for some parents because they want to make sure that their child is getting the right support that they deserve. And without divulging this information about themselves, how will they get that support? So what advice could you offer to a parent in this situation? I could give an example from my own recent experience, if you like. So, um, And it's really tricky because there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer to this. My son has been applying for jobs and for courses and things, and he doesn't always want to declare that he's autistic and he's got dyspraxia as well. Um, And it's really tough because sometimes I'll suggest to him that he might want to share his needs, say, rather than his diagnosis. For example, he did some work experience on a building site And he found that carrying a shovel full of wet cement was really difficult for him, getting it balanced and not slopping the cement everywhere and everything. But rather than say, oh, I have dyspraxia, I'm autistic. What he said is I'm really bendy. And then he showed off some of his hypermobility and the amazing things he could do with his hands. So carrying the shovel is really difficult. And what they did then was gave him a bucket. So he'd put the cement in the bucket and he'd carry the bucket and then he'd unload it at the other place. And uh, he felt more comfortable because he felt that if he told people he was autistic or had dyspraxia, they might not know what it is or they might only know about stereotypes. Whereas by saying this task is difficult, but if I did it in this way, it could be much easier. They could then see, gosh, actually, this young man's quite resourceful and he knows how he can do things differently. So that worked well. On another occasion, I sort of pulled rank on him somewhat because he had an application form that specifically asked if he needed any reasonable adjustments. He didn't want to say, but I said, come on, why don't you put down that you'd like a copy of the interview questions before the interview so that you can be at your best and prepare yourself and give the best interview possible? So again, it's been about him offering a solution. And my personal experience has been that the most positive outcomes have come from offering potential solutions rather than just highlighting need. Yeah. So you might say something like, at school, I found I worked most effectively and got more done when I could take short breaks to walk around between tasks, rather than saying, oh, I can't concentrate if I have to sit still. So it's sometimes how we frame that as parents. We shouldn't yeah. have to but it can be more effective in getting what our children need. Um, I think that's a great example. I think it's that perspective, isn't it, of recognising what you need 
as well. And I think yeah. for lots and lots of people, either on the autistic spectrum or with ADHD or, or neurodevelopmental conditions, sometimes they're on a journey of understanding themselves as well. And I think if we can give them opportunities to learn about traits in a strengths-based way as well, kind of from an ADHD perspective, it might be that from executive functions, a challenge. So when it comes to sitting in a lecture, it can be very difficult to remember the information so actually then knowing what you need, actually a dictaphone would be really helpful and having access to some technology that might support me to then be able to remember the information. But you're right, Emma, it's about being solution focused, isn't it? Saying, you know, rather than saying I have weak working memory because I have got executive function difficulties because of my ADHD. Actually, sometimes it's difficult for me to store information. So I'm going to use a dictaphone if that's OK to record the lecture so that I can listen to it at a later stage. And I like that way because I think that solution-focused approach is, it's helpful for everybody as well, isn't it? I think so. And I would say, Emma, that I think for us as professionals now, this is where we can help people identify solutions because it's okay for me offering solutions to things for my son because I have my own neurodivergence. I've looked after my son. I've worked in this field for 30 years. But I do know that many parents and many autistic people, people have ADHD and so on, don't know what's available. And that makes it really difficult to ask for what you need. So I think as organisations, we can support people to find some of these solutions so they can suggest them and also signpost people to other sources of information and support as well. Because often if you don't know what you need and the university or workplace has never really knowingly supported somebody who's autistic, has ADHD or whatever before, they might not know what to suggest. And actually, there could be some really simple solutions and most reasonable adjustments actually benefit everyone. You know, that's the beauty of this. You're not asking for something that's going to make life more difficult for everyone else. If you actually support the people in society with the most need, every single person will benefit. Benefit So it's about working as professionals as well to be like the sorts of things that people could access. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So we'll move on to our next question now. So. We've talked about the emotional side of things, but what about the practical? If they if they move away, they might be managing bills, getting from here to there on the bus, and even food shops could all be triggers or things that might create some sh- stresses for both the young person and therefore parents as well. So it might be something as, as simple as keeping an Excel spreadsheet with their outgoings listed or listening to their favourite music while they're in the supermarket, but can you provide some practical guidance? here i think we are really lucky that we live in that technology age there are so many advancements in technology now that are really helpful simple things that don't cost us a lot if a young person has access to a mobile phone like you have the notes section on a mobile phone you can do things like bullet points bullet points when something comes into your mind that you need to remember for later on it might be that you go to the fridge and you realize that you're not gonna have any milk for breakfast the next morning and in the moment is when you think about it and it's about using that moment to then pop it down in a bullet point on your notes section and you then come back to that notes section when it comes to head into the shops and things like that there's also the likes of bullet journaling which is something that we were made aware of by a university that we worked with which just helps with organization and supporting the students at the university to organize not only their work but also that home life side of things what food they need what things that they need to do it's even down to things like knowing what clothes need washing so that they're ready for the week later because you're going out and you wanted to wear the top that you bought that you really liked but it's not clean because you wore it the week before so some of the technology advances can be really helpful because there's lots out there that can really support those organization tasks as well 
I would say, again, use technology. I've used apps that enable me to plan my day. So this is something you could do with your child before they go off and they'll get reminders on their mobile phone, pinging them to do things. Very similar to what Emma said, rather than making notes, I've got a smart speaker in my house. So I inform it when I'm in the fridge and I realise there's no milk, I tell it to put milk on my shopping list. And then on my phone, I have my shopping list. So what's great is when I started working within social care, assistive technology was seen as this special thing for disabled people. Whereas now, actually, we've all got assistive technology helping us out in our daily lives. So I would say that's good. And also, I think what Emma said before about understanding yourself is really important and recognising that for those of us, say, who experience sensory information differently, we might need to make time in our day to actually be regulated and get that balance of sensory input we need. If you're somebody that moves around a lot or stims to get some extra sensory input, then you may feel you want to find somewhere private to do that. You shouldn't have to. If you felt self-conscious about the things you need to do, then making sure you've got those opportunities to do that is important. And also, I always carry with me things like noise-cancelling headphones. I've also got noise-cancelling earbuds, which are easy to pop in. Nobody looks at you as being different if you're wearing headphones because lots of people wear headphones. I've got nasal inhaler tubes that you can buy in bulk for about 10 or for about 20 of them. And you put your own essential oils in or different smells. They can be really good for kind of upregulating you, stimulating you, helping you concentrate or calming you. I have things I can fiddle with. I've always got something on my desk I can pick up and fiddle with. And uh, so I make sure I have these things to hand. And I'm also quite organized in that I recognize what's going to be difficult during the day. So if I've been at university in the morning at a lecture and I need to go shopping, I know that to go shopping after that, I've had my fill. I've had my fill of sensory information. I'm going to go in that supermarket. It's going to be too loud, too noisy, too smelly. No matter how much I want it to be different, it can't be because that's how my brain works. So it's about, as Emma said before, knowing yourself and being honest with yourself yeah. and planning your day so that you have time for rest and time for regulating yourself and time on your own if you're somebody who needs time on your own in between different things because then you'll actually be able to achieve more longer term because you'll be in this more regulated just right state as you go about your day okay thanks for your answers there they were brilliant okay so moving on now the step into adulthood brings plenty of new experiences and opportunities including those around making friends, which we know can sometimes present challenges for our young people. However, no matter what that friendship may look like, it's really good to have some kind of companionship. For some, it might be meeting for coffee, gaming for others, or something as simple as being given the opportunity to share a board game or sit next to somebody while they're having lunch. However, this might be something that needs planning and preparation to achieve. So how can parents and carers help navigate a path here for their children? I'm learning all the time, to be honest, about this. My son hasn't got very many friends, but he really likes not having very many friends. And I have to consciously push aside like my own opinions on that, about him needing to have more friends. And I need to accept for him, his friendship needs are well catered for by having some online friends that he does gaming with. And he occasionally meets up with an old friend from school. And friendship is difficult because every relationship we have is different. So you can't like learn a protocol for having a friend or have this kind of one size fits all approach to this is how you are with friends because we change as individuals, our friends change, situations change. And to be honest, I'm nearly 50 and I still 
find this difficult because I'd like everything to be nice and ordered and neat and in boxes. This is how I do friendship. And it's not like that. Anything we can do, I think, to help our young people be more confident in themselves will have a knock on effect that actually they'll be getting their needs met. And it's about quality rather than quantity, I think. Absolutely. We've said that before. We've done a couple of, of these podcasts around neurodiverse young people to make friends. And I think that is a real key point there. I think quite often we sometimes think more is better or bigger is better and all this. But I think even one or maybe two real friends who care about you can make the world of difference, can't they? So I think that's a really good point to make there. I think as well, it's about finding happiness, isn't it? What is it that makes you happy? It might be related to people and it might be related to others, but it also for some, it, it might not be. Yeah. For others, it might actually be that I just really love art and I love getting home. I think one of the things that I'm always mindful of is after a very busy day at uni when or at college or at work, especially if you're in situations where you're surrounded by lots of people, the social world can be very overwhelming. And actually to find your happiness when you get home, and the happiness might be sitting in a room with some colouring or doing some painting or something creative. It might be gaming. It might be something that just gives you that kind of break from social world as well and being okay with that. that. Actually, if I just need a bit of downtime to regulate myself again after all of that social experience that I've had just by being in a lecture surrounded by lots of people. And actually, I can go home and desensitize that a little bit. Yeah. That can be really helpful. And to be okay with it, that's okay. Yeah. Need that quiet space on your own. Yeah, that is an important point to keep in mind, isn't it? It absolutely is. Okay, so like with any young adults, there will also be the opportunities to get mixed up in things that will maybe hinder their progression or development. We've done quite a few webinars around teenagers and there are always lots of questions from parents around this, whether it's being out too much, not taking care of themselves, missing school. It's probably, it really could be a webinar or a podcast in itself, really. But when we look at this area, what advice could you offer here? I think it depends on what it is, what the choices are that are being made and the reasons why. If there's from the perspective of, say, a young person is using alcohol and because they're drinking and they're missing lectures the next day or they're not attending work, is it self-medicating? because of maybe difficulties with managing some of their, it might be emotionally uh, regulating themselves. It might actually be, if I drink, I'm more confident. Yeah. Um, so, so when I've had a drink, I can socialise better or feel like I can socialise better. And I think it's about finding the root cause of what those choices of behaviour are and working with those root causes to then find a solution to it. If those behaviours are hindering them or get in the way of yeah. learning or being in work, attending work on time and things like that, it's what's the reason, I suppose? totally agree with Emma there. I can't really add much to that really because it's a good answer. What I will say, we've got, if it's okay to share this, we've got some free resources on our website. We had a project funded to produce information that was called Tricky Topics in Autistic Lives. So it's 20 information sheets. And rather than telling you about different topics, it's more about starting conversations that could be tricky. Yeah. So some of the topics that we include, we've got puberty, bullying, self-harm, masturbation, consent. So it's all those topics that can be difficult enough to talk about as it is, but can be even more difficult because of the specific challenges our young people may face. People are welcome to access those and have a look at them as ways to start some of these more difficult conversations because I think being able to talk about stuff is key. You know, then we can actually be alongside our young people and support them better. 
and like you say, those topics are difficult in, in, at the best of times to talk about, yeah. aren't they? So any support there is absolutely vital. What's the web address, Emma? It's www.autismwellbeing.org.uk and then either go to the resources section or you can put forward slash resources and there's tricky topics in autistic lives is the name of the project and it's 20 sheets you can download them as pdfs so some people i know have taken them into school people have used them in discussion groups they can be quite useful Great. No, that's brilliant, that. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. So as Emma W will know, I like to throw some real-life stories or examples into our podcasts. So if you can possibly provide one or two examples of when you've seen a young person going through the transition to adulthood, that would be great. And feel free to include any bumps in the road because ultimately, for most of us, there's likely to be a few hiccups or bumps along the way. I can share my current experience, if you like. So my son was home educated. He went to primary school, thrived, went to secondary school, found it very different, found it much more difficult. This is very common. And um, I started home educating him a few years ago. And that was all going really well because he could learn in the way he loved best. So he could be hanging upside down off the sofa if he wanted to or moving about or whatever it was he needed. But he decided that he'd like to ideally get an apprenticeship but we couldn't find an apprenticeship for him. So he decided to go to college. We did all the things I said before about going beforehand, finding the point of contact. So he went in on his first day. He also had to get the bus, which I was very impressed that he got the bus because that's not something he finds easy. And then at 5.30, I had a phone call from the college asking, is your son okay? We haven't seen him since lunchtime. So obviously I was like, oh my goodness, it's now nearly half past five. My son came back He was finding things difficult and the crunch point had got to dinner time and he'd gone into the college canteen and it was noisy and smelly and busy and he wasn't sure what he was meant to be doing. There was a menu to choose from rather than food that you could see in front of you. And he left. What we did the next day, which wasn't a college day, we had a talk about things, came up with some strategies and we went and we bought a packed lunch so that at lunchtime he could take a lunch that he had chosen that he knew that he was having off somewhere quiet. And I spoke to the college and I thought, yeah, we've got this. So went to college the next day. In the afternoon then I answered the phone to a video call of a policeman which you can imagine as a parent, your heart absolutely drops. This time he'd only made it to 11 a.m. We're staying in college. So even though we put these things in place and these strategies and all the rest, it didn't work out for him. But he wasn't at home. The policeman was at my house while I was out looking for him and my son wasn't there. But I'd guessed where he may be because the one thing I've always said to him is if you can't cope with something... Your first priority is to be safe and do the things you need to do to feel better. And I knew for him, he'd have probably come home and eaten, because I always say, have something to eat and then do something physical that you find regulating. And for him, that would mean cycling to the gym and the swimming pool. So I rang the gym and swimming pool and sure enough, he was there. So I got him to come back down, chat to the policeman. Now, for my son, the reason he didn't tell me was he thought he was okay, so I should know that he was okay. So we had a long conversation about him. Yeah, it was brilliant that he kept himself safe. He'd also demonstrated amazing resourcefulness because he didn't know how to get from college to home because it's about 30 miles away. 
but he saw railway tracks. So he walked along the road adjacent to the railway tracks, knowing that at some point he would end up at a train station, which he did. He then got the correct train back to our nearest town. He then found the correct bus. So actually his learning experience from those three days was immense. Yeah. But we decided to actually, do you know what? College isn't for him. It, it was instantly distressing him. And actually, he went off last week and did a day's work experience with a forestry company who are offering apprenticeships. And he should find out today whether he's got a place yeah. on that apprenticeship scheme, which would involve him working outdoors, being very physical. Yeah. So it's about choosing your battles, recognising that conventional ways aren't going to work for everybody, praising your child when they do something right so well done for recognizing you were distressed getting out of there keeping safe keeping safe looking after your knees what you could do differently next time is just drop me a text to say mum i'm okay then i could tell the college what he said to me which amused me was i didn't tell you because i thought it would save time but it's actually made me waste more time because now i've had to talk to the police so the consequences were there for him without me needing to torture him particularly But that's my experience. And uh, I think we do our best as parents. We do our best as professionals. Even though I've worked in this field, I'm a parent, I'm autistic, dyspraxic, ADHD myself. Our kids are our kids. They have to find their own way. And sometimes things go wrong. And how we use that can enable them to draw something from that because he still learned from that experience. Yeah. Can I just say thank you so much for sharing that with us? Because I think it's important for other parents and carers to hear examples like what you've just given. So I just want to say thank you so much for that and best of luck to your son as well. Yeah. Hopefully he gets that apprenticeship because that sounds like it would be a good fit for him. Thank you. Emma W, do you have anything you want to add to that one at all? Yeah, so we've got, uh, I've got an example of a business, if that, would that be helpful, Great. Claire, to yeah. kind of think of them from a work-based perspective. So there was a family that contacted us here, and it, uh, and it was actually a bit of a success story, which was really lovely to hear, and it was a, of a marketing company, their uh, child gone through university, managed to get the results that they needed, and managed to get, was uh, managed to achieve getting into the world of work, and was in the marketing world joined this company and when they joined the company was just struggling with the next steps kind of adulthood next steps of working world having to manage your own diary manage other people sit in an office full of lots of different people lots of noise lots of of things that would take that that they had to manage at work kind of throughout the day and to begin with it was a little bit wobbly and they struggled with that but the but the company were great at asking the questions what do you need what can we help you with and what we found very quickly was that this company were wanting to know the best ways to support, but they didn't have the knowledge at that point in time. Yeah. So this company became sought out support, sought out some training, wanted some training on how to be neurodiverse friendly as an organization. Mm-hmm. And they now hold our neurodiverse friendly business award because what they've had is training for yeah. all of their staff, training for their management team, but also some work around their HR policies as well and how to recruit. Because yeah. actually what they learned was from this person that joined them, the strength that that person had because of their ADHD. This person was brilliant, creative, thinking outside of the box, always thinking 10 steps ahead of everybody else. And they wanted to nurture that. And so they nurtured that by learning ways to enhance that. So it was a real success story. And this this young person has gone into the world of work and is thriving, which was so lovely for us to hear. Brilliant. Some really great stories there and some examples to share. So thank you so much. So... Following on from my last question, and we've already touched on it a little bit, but as we know, things don't always go 
to plan and it might be that a young person decides something isn't for them wants to look at another path or do we just need to make some adjustments to this one that they are already on and uh, Emma are you've already touched on this in your last answer really but going back to it how can we as parents manage and support them through this adjustment or change in direction because it can be difficult can't it to accept that after all the planning and preparation that something just isn't quite working I think as parents, we have to just kind of suck it up and accept that things aren't for everyone. And actually, when I look at myself, I went to school and then I started A-levels, didn't work for me. So I started different A-levels the next year, didn't work for me. And then I did an access course, went to university, lasted three months, didn't work for me, went to a different university, I lasted half an hour, didn't work for me. So actually, if I'm honest about myself... And we do know a lot of neurodevelopmental conditions run in families as well. So it's quite likely we'll share things, which is great because it means we can be really understanding quite often about our children. But we also need to recognise they're not us. And for me, my kind of mantra in life has been about playing to my strengths. Yeah, I did do. I went into work because I prefer working. Working is easier for me because there are procedures, there are protocols, there's stuff that you do. It keeps you busy. I found work great. And then. I achieved a master's degree then in my 30s because it was relevant to my job. And um, I think recognising that sometimes for our children and ourselves as adults, something has to be meaningful for it to immerse our kids into it. My son, like me, doesn't cope with learning about things. He copes best with doing things. Once he's doing that thing, he'll use his amazing kind of hyper-focus to learn everything he can about it. But he can't do it the other way around. He can't go and learn something and then apply it. He's got to do the thing to spark that interest. So I would say there's more than one way to do things. You don't have to follow the conventional route. Actually, I'm, yeah, I went on to do a master's degree. I'm now doing a PhD, but I couldn't sit in a classroom to do A-levels. So don't think it's the end of the world if it doesn't happen, because actually there are lots and lots of other ways to be successful. And as Emma said earlier, it's also about being happy and that sense of well-being. You don't have to have a good job to be happy. Plenty of people have got very good jobs or very long lists of qualifications. They're unhappy. So it's about playing to your strengths, I think. Emma W, do you have anything to add there? I think that's absolutely spot on, yeah. Emma. I think, yeah. that, and I think well, that the perspective from being able to give examples, and your example is a great one. That actually, it's all in good time for lots yeah. of people, mm-hmm. isn't it? And your time might not be the same as another person that was is of the same age as you, but it doesn't mean that's wrong. It just means that it will all be in good time, and it's that find your happiness within wherever you are within your development and growth as well. Fantastic. Okay, so our final, it's not really a question, but point for our session today. So as a roundup of our podcast, what would your top three tips be for families whose children are getting ready for that transition into adulthood, moving on to their next adventure? I think a key word that's come out for me, I've really enjoyed the conversation today. Yeah, me too. uh, Yeah, two things for me have been around self-awareness and owning and recognising kind of your strengths within your condition as well and how you can use those strengths and apply those strengths in your next step. 
But also a big word for me, because we've used it quite a few times, it's that happiness thing, yeah. isn't it? Supporting our children when they're making those big steps to find their happiness. And they might need some guidance with that, or it might be that they know what their happiness is and they have opportunities to indulge in that as well yeah. during these big transitions. Familiarity is key. Keeping things, something familiar when big changes are happening can really ground a person who might be feeling anxious about those next steps. And if familiarity is something that they've always done from being five years old even if they're 25 but they still enjoy it if it gives them that grounding and it gives them that happiness and I think that can really help with those big next steps that are taking place good advice Emma yeah totally and some of those are very very similar yeah validation except that if something feels important or overwhelming or distressing to our young people then it is significant to them even if we don't understand why I think be open to surprises sometimes our young people do need to make mistakes in order to learn that's how we learn and sometimes they might surprise us with their resourcefulness as well and they might not get to the end goal the same way as we would or we would have liked them to have but they might reveal some interesting surprises along the way that would never have been uncovered otherwise. And then finally, as Emma said, it's about playing to your strengths. Because if we all play to our strengths, I think society has this emphasis on what are you not very good at? Right, let's work on that. Actually, no, don't work on that. Work on what you're good at. Work on finding that happiness. Work on finding that meaningfulness and that pleasure and that reward you get from whatever you do. I would say work on that rather than work on the things that you're struggling with or you'll just be reminding yourself how tough life can be. Yeah, that is such a good point, that, because that's confidence enhancing and everything, isn't it? It's joyful, isn't it? I like that. That's a really nice way to finish our podcast. I thought that was a really great chat. What an incredible session. Some amazing advice for families who are embarking on the next chapter of their family's life. So I'd like to say a massive thank you to Emma W and Emma R for their time today and also to all of our wonderful listeners. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then please do give us a like or share. And you might also be interested to find out more about the free webinars and resources available on our website. To access these resources please visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash resources or you can follow us on facebook twitter or instagram and all of our updates are on there so thanks again for joining us today and we hope you can join us for another episode of sensational very soon bye for now bye bye